Anyway, didn't miss anything important, so except my jokes. Maybe I should tell them again. <laughs> Everyone's kind of woke up. What did Adam say to his wife on Christmas? It's Christmas, it's Christmas Eve. <laughs> right, okay. Okay, that's a little better. All right. But Christmas is a thing of wonder, and if you've ever really looked into it, we sort of take it for granted. It's just a holiday we celebrate, but it's not a... It didn't really come to be a holiday just because everybody wanted to celebrate the birth of Christ. And it was just, okay, let's do it. It actually it had opposition from the beginning. I'm not just talking Herod trying to kill all the children, all the boys to and under in Bethlehem. Obviously, there was opposition from the beginning concerning the birth of Christ. But it is one of the oldest celebrated holidays in the world, right? New Year's, Hanukkah, Christmas. These holidays have been around since before, you know, the United States was a country. You know, we don't think back that far, but they've been around a long time. But Christmas, you know, and not, I'm not talking the, the, the commercialized, secularized, you know, distorted consumerist version where they spend almost a trillion dollars every Christmas season. You know, we're just as good at printing money as the government is. The government's way better at it. But that's not the Christmas that I'm talking about, that we celebrate, obviously. I'm talking about Christmas is, uh, the, what we celebrate is about Christ, right? But you go back in history and you look at the early church and, and you know, December 25th, as far as a birth date was concerned for Jesus, you know, because we talk about this all the time, or no, maybe you don't talk about it all the time. But, uh, um, you know, that's probably not exactly when he was born. I mean, we don't know. Um, the, the strange thing is, is that the church, the early church agreed on, the, <laughs> on a conception date for Jesus long before they ever agreed on a birth date for Jesus. But if you want to know how they came up with a birth date, they just added nine months to the conception date, kind of came up with a birth date. But we don't know exactly when he was born, but December 25th was first identified as the date of Jesus' birth by Julius Africanus, who was a Christian historian. He was born back in AD 180. Um, you know, so 180 years, he was born 180 years basically after Christ. And he identified December 25th back in 221 AD as the, Christ, as the date of Christ's birth. And then from there, you can find it in early church father's writings being listed as, you know, the birth of Christ. And it became universally accepted as the birth of, as the birth date. Now, I've, I've often said that they've been pretty much celebrating the birth of Christ since the birth of Christ, except for the fact that that's not necessarily true, Right? Because if you look at uh, the customs of the times and the customs uh, celebrating birthdays and uh, customs of the early church, uh, they focused more on the death of a person than they did on the birth of a person. Okay, So, so it was more common for them, especially, specifically someone like Jesus, okay? but also church fathers and people that, 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 you know, that later on would be referred to as saints and, and, and things like this, their birth date was their martyrdom. Okay. That was considered their birth date in the church. So they never really tried to, they never really celebrated when they were born as a child. They celebrated when they were, when they died, when they became a martyr. Okay. So, 
So the church was celebrating the death and the resurrection of Christ long before they ever celebrated the birth of Christ because that wasn't something that they ever focused on. Right? Because deaths were given more emphasis. So, I mean, they were celebrating Good Friday. They were celebrating Easter, liturgically speaking, long before they celebrated Christmas. And they didn't, the church, the early church, wasn't really an early church then, but they didn't even officially start celebrating the birth of Christ until the ninth century. Okay, so that's many years past when Jesus was born because there was opposition within the church about celebrating the birth of Jesus because they didn't consider that important. Okay, so... All these things that we really think about Christmas, all these traditions and customs that we hold dear, the gifts and the trees and the lights and etc. you know, those were all in place long before, like I said, long before the United States declared a Christmas, a federal holiday in 1870, I think it was, right? But Christmas was already a holiday before the United States was formed, but the United States, why did, not the Uni- why did it take the United States like 100 years to adopt Christmas as a federal holiday? When everyone, almost everyone who came over and, and helped start our country, celebrated it. I won't say everyone did, but almost everyone, because like the Puritans didn't celebrate Christmas, okay? So, so a lot of the people, but a lot of the people who came over celebrated Christmas, but why did it take 100 years for them to create Christmas as a federal holiday? And even then, one could say it wasn't necessarily about the birth of Christ at that time, even in 1870. Because Martin Luther, back in what, the 1500s or whenever it was, he complained that Christ was already forgotten as far as Christmas celebration was gone. He tried to bring Christ back into the Christmas celebration back when he was. But anyway, why did it take them 100 years? Because, it, because they didn't believe that religious Christian holidays should be something that are made a federal holiday. You don't mix government and religion, right? So Christmas should never be a holiday. Well, regardless of that, it became a federal holiday in the United States in 1870. So through all of that, Christmas has endeavored. It's, it's stood. It's, it's got, you can't cancel Christmas because it's not about Santa Claus. It's not about the endearing, timeless character of St. Nicholas. You know, it's about Jesus. And because it's about Jesus and the birth of Jesus, regardless of how it started, regardless of even if the early church didn't want to celebrate it, because I didn't think the birth was as important as the death. But you don't have one without the other. It still stands. It's still celebrated. It's still gone through all these ups and downs, gone through lawsuits and court cases of people in the United States trying to get it, you know, taken off the federal holiday list because it's Christmas. And, you know, they say 80 to 90% of people in the United States celebrate Christmas. They say 80% of the world, in one way or another, celebrates Christmas. They're not all celebrating Christ, but they are celebrating Christmas, and Christmas stands today because it's really about Christ. And like I said, you can take Santa out of Christmas, but you can't take Christ out of Christmas. So that's, you know, how it started so that's why it's miraculous. That's why it's a thing of wonder because even through from his birth till today, it's been in, under opposition, but yet it still stands. And we still celebrate it. We still celebrate right, that a child is born. Right? So whether you celebrate Jesus or you don't, 
doesn't matter. Jesus is the true meaning of Christmas. Whether your neighbors know it or they don't, Jesus is the true meaning of Christmas. Whether your family celebrates it for Jesus or they don't, Jesus is the true meaning of Christmas. That's why we celebrate. And it's not a simple event in history. It's not the Christmas story. It's actually factual. Nothing would be the same after his birth. All history changed from the moment that Jesus was born Right? There's a quote by C.S. Lewis. It's actually from one of the Chronicles of Narnia books, The Last Battle, in which he says, once in our world, a stable has something in it that was bigger than our whole world. That's why we continue to, to celebrate Christmas, right? There's a, a sixth century monk. You probably don't know his name, but what he did changed the way you do things today, right? Because his name is Dionysus Exegus. And he was the first person to date history from December 25th, the year of our Lord, number one. He changed the calendar. The reason that we have at one time, right, BC and AD, was because of this sixth century monk who started dating things around what? Around the birth of Christ. Who other, who, think of, just rack your brain of history class for a second. What other person in history who, when he was born, changed the calendar, right? No one, <laughs> only Jesus. It all, it all you know, centers around him now. What they, what's that quote I say from Alexander Smith, that Scottish poet? Christmas is the day that holds all time together. Well, it's true because it all centers around Jesus. Our verses today that we're going to read is from Isaiah chapter 9. We started two weeks ago with our Advent, quote unquote, trilogy, speaking on Christmas. And we started with Isaiah 9-2, where we talked about the people who walked in the darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And of course, that light was Jesus. And we're going to end today by reading Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Most people stop at 6 when it's at Christmas, but it actually goes into 7. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day and we pray, Lord, that we can just continue to keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the reason for the season, but he's who we celebrate 24-7 and not just on Christmas Day. So we pray, Lord, that a lot of hearts today get opened up on, these, on this Christmas holiday, a lot of hearts get opened up to Jesus. A lot of people celebrate Christmas for a lot of different reasons. But we pray that the truth of the, the reality of the season, the reality of the holiday, the reality of Christmas will set into a lot of hearts. That it's all about Jesus and what Jesus came to do and how Jesus came to set us free. That he's our salvation. That he's Emmanuel, God with us. So we thank you for this, Lord, and we pray that you just continue to speak this into us, that we continue to be lights in the darkness. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 700 years before the birth of Christ, 740 maybe, 750, whatever, that far back, I don't have to be exact. We already read the verse earlier. It was this one. 
Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? That's, that, that was said, prophesied by Isaiah some 700 and some odd years before the birth of Christ. Imagine receiving that birth announcement in the mail. 700 years before it happened, right? Just letting you know. The sun's coming. It's going to be a sign. A virgin's going to conceive and bear a son, and his name's going to be God with us. God with us. Emmanuel, right? Because that's what Emmanuel means. Well, if you go to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 30 to 33, this is what the angel told Mary. He said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now you might be thinking when you read the account of the angel talking to Mary there, and Luke, you might be thinking, wait a minute. They named him Jesus. Isn't he supposed to be named Emmanuel? Isn't that, that's the prophecy. Why isn't he named Emmanuel? A lot of people go by names, different names, right? He's, he's actually not saying they're going to f- literally name him Emmanuel. They're saying that he's going to be God with us, right? Now he's named Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? Does anybody know? It means Jehovah is salvation, Right? So, so his name means salvation. Well, if you go to Luke chapter 2, when the angels are speaking to the shepherds in the field, what do they say? What do the angels say? And they say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Salvation is being born. Your Savior is born. And it's Christ the Lord. Christ, Christos in the, in the Greek. It means anointed. And of course, Lord refers to God. So he's saying, listen, God, the anointed one, the Messiah, your Savior, salvation has come. He's born right now. It's good news of great joy. It's the, right? It's the Christmas message. Hey, shepherds, get up, go, right? Take a look. So when you look at the different ways that they've described Christ, and then his announcement of his coming and the way they described him in Isaiah 7 or even what they're going to, how they refer to him and what we're going to go over here in Isaiah 9, 6. What Isaiah was saying in chapter 7 is, listen, Jesus is God. Emmanuel, right? God with us. And he dwells and going to dwell among us in his incarnation. But not just that, he will always be with us. He's God with us, right? Jesus is God in the flesh. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That's Jesus, right? Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus is God. That's what Isaiah was saying. Your salvation is coming. God is coming. He's gonna come in the flesh. 
is going to save you. And we see, of course, that God keeps his promises because the Virgin Mary bore a son. Right? In Bethlehem, as prophesied in Micah 5.2, which we also read. Let me bring that one up really quick. But you, O Bethlehem, Epitaph, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from the old, from ancient days. That's a reference back to Daniel chapter 7, the ancient of days. Right. So God keeps his promises. Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He is God the Son. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, as promised, as declared some 700 and some odd years before he was born. Right. And so, therefore, with that, if you knew these scriptures, if you had studied God's word, there should have been great anticipation for his arrival. There should have been, right? There should have been more than just the shepherds who came to see baby Jesus, right? More than just the magi who showed up later when he was in a house and probably a toddler, right? Bethlehem should have been overflowing with those who needed and were earnestly hoping and longing for the coming of God. If they knew the word of God. Yet when Jesus was born, the masses weren't huddled outside. Right? The religious leaders of the day who knew the word, who even told it to Herod, remember? Right? Herod's like, what's this about, what is this about a, a king being born when, when the wise men, the magi show up with Herod and he's, and he's talking like, hey, scribes, what does the word, what does the scripture say? Oh, it says he's to be born in Bethlehem. It's like, they knew the word. They weren't following it. They weren't, ex- they weren't in anticipation of it, of it being fulfilled. They weren't being expectant of God's word being true, right? King Herod had no idea. And he was troubled when he found out, obviously. But yet, God had arrived, right? A king had been born. So Christmas is about anticipation, or at least maybe it was when you were younger, right? I don't know what you anticipate about Christmas today. Some of us, you know, don't anticipate getting up early. Right? Some of us don't anticipate having to clean up after all our guests leave or whatever. Right? You know, C.S. Lewis says that by December 25th, most families are in no mood for making merry, but instead look far more as if there had been a long illness in the house. Right? So some of us think of Christmas, we're like, oh, boy. right? We're not, no, no. I mean, I don't know what you think about anticipating Christmas. I anticipate Christmas. And I even know what I'm getting. So it's not like it's a, you know, it's not like it's a gift thing. I mean, you know, when you get older, you buy your own Christmas gifts, right? But my kids, of course, anticipating Christmas morning. I mean, they're already planning it out. They got the morning schedule written down. They know when they're going to wake up. They know when they're going to start opening presents, when we're going to leave to go to Grantee and Granddad's. They got it all figured out. Right? They're sorting all their presents by name and size. Right? I mean, they're anticipating Christmas morning greatly. Some of us are just like, I want to sleep in. But we're not going to get that. But if you received a Christmas card, let's just say, and on that Christmas card it said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
like I said, a lot of us just stopped there in verse 6. But then it continues on in verse 7. And it says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. If you receive that Christmas card and it told you that a child was to be born, right? And he's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be a mighty God. He's going to be an everlasting father. He's going to be the prince of peace, right? And underneath those scriptures, it said, coming soon, right? It said, coming Christmas morning. And you're like, Christmas? What's that? Right? You didn't know because they didn't know exactly when Christ was going to be born. Think about this for a second. They had all the scriptures. They didn't know the exact date, but they had the signs. Listen, if the wise men figured it out and had to travel, however long, however far they were away to find Jesus, then other people could have figured it out and been there for Jesus. There should have been some sort of anticipation. If you received that and you got that and it said that, that your Messiah was coming, wouldn't you be looking forward to that? Well, when's it going to be? When's it going to happen? You'd be living your days right, in anticipation. Wouldn't you be looking forward to his arrival? Here, you know, considering this, they didn't, they didn't know, like I said, the date, but they knew the signs. And the wise men saw the signs and they traveled and found Jesus. Now, we don't know the date and time and we're going to get caught up in the clouds to be with Jesus. We don't know the day or the hour. What do we know? We know the season. Because the Bible, God's word has been given to us so that we would know the season in which we're living and what it's going to look like as we get closer to that time. So we can look at God's word and we can say, listen, we're smack dab in the middle of the season. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know we're in the season. There's no doubt about it, right? So we shouldn't we be living our lives in anticipation of being caught up to Jesus? The answer is yes, we should be. We should be living our lives in light of that blessed hope. So that's one of the things about these verses in Isaiah that we need to pay attention to. Because they aren't just about the birth of Jesus, which, which, Jesus, which happened some you know, 2,000 years ago. But they're also about the second coming of Jesus. They also have future application. Right? Verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right? And Isaiah, we've already been told he's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. And now we're told he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor means that, well, it means that he's extraordinary. And he is. Your testimonies speak to that. It means that his counsel, his wisdom, his word is miraculous. And in a sense, it's really beyond your understanding. That's how miraculous it is. Really what it means is that his, because the, the word wonderful here in this passage, it means incomprehensible. So what it's saying is that 
he's a wonderful counsel to the point that you should be under his counsel, under his word, you should be full of wonder. That's what it means. You should be full of wonder. And in that, you can trust him. You trust Jesus to guide you and you trust Jesus to lead you because he's doing so with a love so wide and deep, it boggles your mind. It's incomprehensible. But you know it to be true and you know him to be faithful. He's a wonderful counselor. And he's also a mighty God. Now, yes, mighty just means, you know, strong and brave and valiant. And all those words that we like to use to describe mighty men, right? But what it's saying is that Jesus is a divine hero, right? He is the ultimate authority of over all things, which his resurrection shows us that. Right? He, is, he is above any ruler. He is above any authority. He's above any power. He's above any leader or anything else, but not just in this world today, but of the world to come as well. He's a mighty God. And it also says he's an everlasting father. And this one throws people for a loop because they're like, wait a minute, he's God the son. How, he, how can he be the father and the son? Well, the idea is when we think about the term father, when somebody creates something like he's the father of the diesel engine, he's the father of the automobiles, he's the father of, you know, candy canes, right? Whoever created that thing gets that title. He's the father of. So that's how they're using the title here. They're not saying that he's God the father. They're saying that he's an eternal father. He's the ancient of days from Daniel 7. He is the first and the last, right? He is without beginning and without end. He is the father of the world to come. He is the everlasting father. And he is the father of the world because it was all created through him. Right? And so he's going to rule the earth and he's going to usher in a reign of blessing and peace that will have no end. And what's that referring to? That's referring to something that hasn't happened yet. That's going to come with his second coming. That's a reference to a future, right? And he's going to usher in this peace. And that's why it's also referred to as the Prince of Peace, right? Prince just means captain, chief, or governor. Of course, when we're talking about peace, it means that you're content or complete. You're complete in Jesus. Have you ever had a peace that's complete? Because our peace is generally temporary, right? It lasts for a day or two, and then it's interrupted by something. And we no longer have the peace. But a complete peace that's, that's, that you're completely content with, that never ends, we've never experienced. But we will experience it with Jesus. Isaiah 9-7 tells us that of the increase of his government, Right, which is referring to his authority over all things, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, right, he's going to establish it. He's going to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's what it's saying there. That's why we read nine seven with nine six because he is the Prince of Peace. But this is how it's going to look. It's going to have to go with his coming government when he's on the throne of David and over his kingdom, which is a coming kingdom. And even Jesus himself refers, even Jesus in Revelation 22 refers to himself as the root and the descendant of David. Which these passages 
also state. So I tell you all this in Isaiah 9, 6 and 9, 7 to remind you really simply of this. This word, this prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and verse 7, this promise, Christmas, it's not just about the birth of Christ, though it is. And when we read these verses, don't stop at verse 6. Continue on. Because it has a future fulfillment as well. Right? The prophecy is going to reach its completion in the second coming of Christ. And at the end of the book of Revelation, right, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He's coming again. And he's coming again. It's the, the true meaning of Christmas. It's that why did he come? Why was he born? He was born to save you. He was born to set you free from the bondage of sin. He was born to rescue you, right? The purpose of his birth was his death and his resurrection. His defeat, the darkness and the evil and the, what comes right from Satan, all the deception And so the true meaning of Christmas for us is really impossible to miss. And if you are missing it, then you got to talk to me afterwards so I can smack you upside the head. Right? There's, it's impossible. The true meaning of Christmas is impossible to miss unless you're determined purposefully to miss it. Right? If you're going to celebrate Christmas without Christ, you're willfully ignorant of the truth. You're putting blinders on. And just trying to look at, I don't know, Santa Claus. Right? And not looking at the purpose of Christmas, which is Jesus. Right? How can you celebrate Christ? How can you celebrate Christmas? Without Christ. This is another way, better way to phrase that. Here's what you need to know if you don't already. There is not a need in your life which Christ cannot fulfill because he's the wonderful counselor he's a mighty God he's the everlasting father he's the prince of peace he's Emmanuel he is God with us he hasn't left us he is with us he walks through everything we're walking through right now right beside us he leads us through it with his word with his love it's unfathomable we can't completely grasp it it's so great. We, don't, we can't com comprehend how great his love is. But there's, no, there's not a need in your life which Christ cannot fulfill. Right? Christ was born. He died. He was raised from the dead. He conquered sin and death. He is your salvation. And if you accepted that gift, which was the greatest gift ever given, then guess what? Heaven awaits. Right? Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Make the connection, because it's there for a reason, right? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. All right, a son is given. Emmanuel, God with us. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4 says this. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them 
and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You want to know why we celebrate Christmas? Because that's coming. Because that's coming. Amen? We're going to finish by doing a candlelight service. So we're going to get the candles, pass them out, and they will finish by worshiping the Lord.